Welcome to the Legacy Pod. In episode one, I spoke with Heber Cannon, a filmmaker, content creator, and one half of the YouTube sensation, The Buttery Bros. Heber spoke about his career behind the camera, charting the rise of CrossFit, one of the fastest growing sports in the world. He spoke about the risk of going alone when he was fired from CrossFit, but ultimately the reward of taking control of his own future. We looked at his pathway into filmmaking and ultimately the decision that led to him jumping in front of the camera with friend and business partner Martin Sawyers to launch the Butter Bros. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed recording. Did you ever anticipate you would start what you started? No, um, I always, we always just kind of, we always joke that we live a quarter mile at a time uh, from the Fast and Furious references. Um, But we, we didn't anticipate that we would be doing what we're doing now. We set out to make a documentary about the CrossFit season that was really crazy in 2019. We were let go. CrossFit was making all these changes to the sport. Um, And we thought it was an interesting story and that was what we set out to tell. Um, the Buttery Bros channel was just a vehicle to get to what we thought our bigger project was going to be, which was the documentary and a documentary series about it. Um, quickly, after a few months, we realized that our passion was our passion and success wasn't going to be validated through the series. It was going to be validated and come through the Buttery Bros channel, and that became very apparent very quick. Um, and so, no, we didn't anticipate to be doing what we were doing now, but it's definitely a dream come true and, and just having a total blast doing what we're doing. What I remember sitting watching the very first episode that you guys put out and the weird thing was I was just getting into CrossFit at that point. So, But the weird thing about it was you immediately felt as if you knew who you guys were, as if you'd always been there. It was, it was the, weirdest, the weirdest thing. Did, did, you, did you get that reaction? What, what do you mean that we were always there? So like, obviously, uh, in terms of CrossFit, yeah. So obviously, people within the CrossFit CrossFit sphere knew who you were. You had done the movies. You knew the athletes. You knew everyone at HQ. You worked at HQ. People who who had no idea who you were, your content suddenly made you feel as if I don't know, as if it was so relatable that your stuff had always been out there. Yeah, I think. Maybe a little bit just because, so like you said, like we were all, we were all always there. Like we were just one step removed away from it. We were just behind the cameras for, for 10 years. Like I had been in the CrossFit community making this content for, for 11 years. And so if you'd been following me on Instagram, you had seen some of this stuff, but all we really did was like, uh, I had a phone call with, or a text message with Brett Fikowski after I did a road to the game show. So I did a, a YouTube show about his day in the life and, and, what he's doing as an athlete to prepare for the the 2018 or 17 CrossFit games. I think it was 17. And he said, uh, he called me later and said, Hey, I wanted to thank you for coming out and documenting and making this cool video about me and my prime. I can't wait to show my grandkids like how I used to be really cool. Cause I'll be washed up and, and 60 at some point. And I remember thinking like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's cool. I should do that for me. Like, <laughs> like I'm doing this for all these really cool other people, yeah. but I feel like I'm doing cool things and I have like, I don't have anything to show my kids of what I do. I just show what other people do. And so 
um, I started making like a family vlog at the time and, but, but it, it turned into like, this became a really easy thing for us to do, which was, we just let people in on what we do very naturally, which is we go do really fun things and we have a really good time in the gym yeah. and like none of that's manufactured. All of that's kind of what we'd always been doing anyways. And, uh, I think why it felt so natural for the community or for our viewers is because we're really just flipping the camera around and giving people an inside access to what we do when we're out producing these documentaries or movies or, uh, interacting with these high profile athletes. How much did it take you by surprise that you were immediately part of a wider community and part of people's lives, you know, people like me, people all over the world that suddenly were coming across your content, liked what you were doing and suddenly, like, for example, I've reached out to you, I've DM'd you, no idea if you're going to respond back and you must get stuff like that all the time. Suddenly, like, how, how strange was that to wrap your head around that suddenly you had this huge audience that wanted to kind of be your buddies. <laughs> That's still crazy to me. Like it's, uh, we experienced it. Um, we experienced it very early on when we launched our channel. We, we experienced it like this weekend. I just got back from an event in Texas and I was like, I can't believe all these people from Texas want to yeah. come hang out and know me and uh, we'll be at a restaurant and someone will come sit down and, and talk to me about pancakes. And, and uh, I remember getting the weirdest interaction i've had it happen twice when we went to london uh both years that i've been to london while doing this the first time we got off the the train system there we were looking for a locate we were looking for whatever it takes the store there and i got off the subway too early and i come out of the stairs i'm looking around and some guy comes up he's like hey it's the buttery bros <laughs> i was like you look, look at range am i how am i in a different country right now yeah. on the other side of the planet and some guy finds me immediately after walking out of the subway tunnel in the middle of downtown London. And then he, he went out of his way, like two kilometers to walk us to where we needed to go, dropped us off and then went on his way. And I, I don't know who that person is now, like, yeah. but, but that guy was, <laughs> was super helpful. And so, yes, it's, it's really crazy on one side, especially when it's in person online, it's very virtual. Um, I think social media and interaction on social channels has really changed how, uh, society reacts and relates and communicates. Um, but it's still just like text messages on a screen. So like yeah. if you're messaging me, like I respond to everybody just because like, that's just something we've done from the beginning. And we, we try to do as much as, as we possibly can at some point, we hope it becomes too much for us to do. But, um, I would like to be as involved in communicating with our audience as much as possible, just because we're so grateful to be able to do what we're doing. And so, that's that's the biggest thing for us is just gratitude for people that want to want to watch. Was the one one moment that you sort of realized, okay, this is taking off. This is this is more than just like a hobby, or this is more than just a handful of people. Was there, was that one milestone moment you can remember? Um, not exactly one moment. Because it's all it's like I, I'm very uh, weirdly business minded when it comes to yeah. this stuff. So, so it, I went into like there's two different avenues, right? Like there's a documentary, and I, I went into it like there was no question that it wasn't going to be successful. It was just how are we going to do it? How are we going to make it happen? Um, and this just sort of happened naturally as a result of that. Yeah. So there was a big shift after doing it for about five months where we used to be like, hey, well, we used to be shopping ourselves around as commercial 
producers. So like yeah. a brand would call us and be like, Hey, we want you to go shoot a commercial of these three athletes. Can you go do that? And then we would shoot a buttery bros episode behind, behind that. So like we would go out and be with Matt Fraser shooting the uh, thing for one of his sponsors. And then in our free time, we just turn the camera on ourselves and, and eat, you know, whatever Sammy was cooking. Um, there became a shift when I realized that what we were doing on our Butter Bros channel was way more valuable to people or brands specifically than what our commercials were. And so I was able to remove this work and, and sort of brand this stuff over here and be able to not have to worry, not have to do three jobs and just do one job really well. Um, and, and that was a big shift that happened around uh, June of 2019. And after that point, we stopped doing commercial work for big people, and that became a huge uh, moment of knowing that I could live through it. Yeah. <laughs> Up until that point, like January to, to June was really like scrambling to be able to get things going. And then June, we realized we have to make a leap. We have to trust ourselves. And um, from that next six weeks, it became very important for us to focus inwardly and on buttery bros content so that we can create the best buttery shows and the best documentary of 2019 that was possible and and that kind of set up the business for going forward how scary a moment was that because obviously with a family to provide for food to put on the table you've got to make that leap but i guess if you look at it from one point of view a lot of people would say you already had like an amazing job creating different things but did you feel as if you wanted to be a bit more in control of what you did for yourself there's like there's a couple yeah, different questions there as well. Well, there's two there's two two different elements. When I was working for CrossFit, I loved my job at CrossFit. I loved the community that yeah. we had there. Um, and then when I left, and I kind of had I was able to do it under my terms. Like that June was epic. We had yeah. some amazing shoots. We shot this episode where we were flying helicopters, riding around in razors, um, and doing workouts like just exploring Southern Utah. And then we went from that straight out to Boston where we hung out with Catherine Davis' daughter, Brooke Wells, Amanda Barnhart doing a comp train camp weekend. And like we had these two back-to-back weekends. Um, it, it, at that point, it was like, that's all I want to do. Like I, this is just fun things that I want to do. And I just am going to bring a camera along and I know I can make interesting things. I know I'd watch it. I hope others will. And yeah. you just hope that that's the case. Um, the risk factor was really it was there. Um, I think I had proved the concept at that point, but I was nervous about a few things, mainly like family life, <laughs> just because yeah. to be successful, I have to be on the road all the time. And we had moved from Salt Lake City, Utah to California to work for CrossFit. So we're there for 10 years. Um, I was traveling like a quarter of what I was doing with the Buttery Bros. And so when I'm traveling, I now have my wife and two kids stuck at home and not a huge support group in California. There was a little bit that we had developed, but not like family. And so we actually moved back from, uh, we moved from Santa Cruz because for a few reasons, one, I was like, we're making a financial jump here. I, I think it will work, but there's never a guarantee, but that wasn't ever why it was more the family support system. So if I'm going to be traveling as much as I can, I, I will be for the next couple months to pull this off. Um, my wife, wanted help from her parents and my parents. So we moved into my parents' basement, which we thought was going to be a three-month interim until we found somewhere to rent in Salt Lake. And we ended up living there for 18 months and moved out like just two months ago. But like, yeah, it was risky. It was nerve-wracking. But but I always felt like we had a safety net to some degree. Did Even with that safety net, did you feel as if that was something worth taking the risk for because of just – how did yeah. you feel the stuff you got to do, the experiences that you were having? 
Yeah, I mean, at that point, we had so many things cool that were lined up for uh, the CrossFit Games, and then we went to we had Miami lined up soon after that, and then we had back to Southern Utah, Aruba, and Hawaii all kind of coming up in the next five six weeks, and I yeah. was like, yeah, this is this is these are fun things that are going to happen in my life, and uh, whether people come along for the ride or not, like I want to do these yeah. things. And that's sort of always been a mantra for me whenever I was working for CrossFit. I had a lot of creative freedom there. Um, they were they were great to work with. Um, and one of the things I always kind of focused on whenever I was pitching a project was, is this something that I would have watched as a super fan of the sport? Because I came into this, uh, I don't know how many other people have had this experience, but like when I discovered CrossFit, I was all in. Like I would come home, I would weigh out all my meals. I would get on YouTube and watch CrossFit videos of people doing Fight Gone Bad or Freddy's Revenge yeah. or or whatever CrossFit was putting out back in the time, which were these janky videos with really loud and obnoxious music. And I was like, I was in. Um, and so now looking back at that, I'm like, what am I? What, how can I create something that's really relatable and really fun that people would want to watch? And I, uh, this is kind of what we've come up with. So we'll get into CrossFit in a minute. The actual you know, working there, but to rewind back to the beginning, did you always want to be a filmmaker? Was that always where your passion was? Or was it something you yeah. sort of fell into? But but not a documentary filmmaker. Okay. So I, I uh, uh, like, when I was five or four, it would have been 1988 or 89, so I would have been four or five. My brother was uh, a, a making like what what are web sketches now or sketch comedy things for Highland for his high school and one of the sketches they did was they were they were like we're really cool seniors how did we get so cool so they went back to the future and recreated the movie back to the future and to go back to when they were kids to see how they were so cool well i was his younger version of himself okay so i'm like this four-year-old kid experiencing what it's like to be in front of the camera behind the camera and then coming downstairs in the basement watching edit from one vhs tape to another vhs tape and then adding music and i was like oh wow this is so cool and then slowly from that point on i i started making like skating videos to sketch comedy stuff in high school to my senior year of high school i, I didn't really think of it as a career opportunity it was always just a hobby um my senior year of high school, I, I discovered like, oh no, this is like a real thing. Like this isn't just a long shot. I could do this. I'm good at this. Yeah. Um, so it became very clear in my senior year of high school that I wanted to make movies. Um, my plan was to go to college and then go down to Hollywood and, and work in the system somehow. And then I kind of stumbled upon CrossFit because I've alongside with all this, I've had a huge fascination with fitness. Um, so when the opportunity came to go work with this new growing young company that needed content and i was fascinated with the subject it, it was a perfect fit for me and the brand and, and it worked out really well so so crossfit was a sort of detour or got in your way as you went to hollywood sort of thing yeah totally 100 wow. and and when i talk to friends in hollywood they're like look like we could help you out but you should definitely take this crossfit gig because if you if things come up and we can set up meetings for you, you're four hours north of me. So it's a much easier flight from Santa Cruz to get to LA than Salt Lake or a drive. Um, so yeah, come to come to go to Santa Cruz, do your thing, and and when the timing's right, we'll we'll bring you down. Um, the workload at CrossFit became so heavy that I didn't end up going down to LA very much yeah. until actually, ironically, 2018. <laughs> wow. So, so, so you also. It's pretty rare that 
you get in the ground for something like like CrossFit. You know, you're one of obviously you were part of the sport as it as it exploded. A bit like the Buttery Bros. Did you realise what the sport was going to become? Did you have any idea the movement that it was going to become? Or did you just sort of get a sense of this is raw, this is fun, let's go with it? Um, both. So I got into the sport in 2008, uh, really got into the 2008 Games documentary that Sabah Matassian produced that came out in like May of 2009. Um it was really cool. And, and like, I would watch any video I could. Yeah. Like I found like iPhone videos or anything that anyone had published on, on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever websites, Facebook that I could find about the 2008 CrossFit games. And I knew all the competitors. And so then as a fan, not collaborating with CrossFit at all, I went down to the 2009 games. Um, and, and I was like, I want to compete. Like, this is my jam. I love this. I'd be good at this sport. Yeah. Totally not the case, but, but you know, a kid can dream. And uh, so I went down to the 2009 games thinking like, oh, 2010, I'm really, I'm going to bulk up. That's my biggest weakest is strength. And I'm going to come in and I want to do this as my sport. Um, Not necessarily thinking that I was going to document it, but while at the 2009 games, I could definitely see the potential of what the sport could be. Um, I was like, this is cool. It's grassroots. It's got a, it's, it's beautiful. The, The athletes are, all of them are insanely good looking to look at. Like, there's eye candy. There's there. The test is very interesting and, and not like uh, subjective. Like the science behind it was cool. And, and I, so I saw a huge trajectory of what CrossFit the sport could be. And and when I got back, I read that's when I reached out to CrossFit and was like, hey, I'm a filmmaker here in Salt Lake City. There's a top a couple of top athletes that were at the 2009 games. I'd love to document them going into the 2010 season. So who who was on the ground at that point? Were you a bit of a pioneer when it came to realizing there was a gap for the content? Did you sort of forge that path on your own, or was there already a, a kind of team in place? So they had a they had a director of media, um, a guy named Tony Budding. They had um, Sevon was contracted. Sevon and his buddy Carrie Peterson, who also had produced that 28, 2008 documentary, and they were on site at the two thousand nine games and produced a whole like eighteen part series about the two thousand nine yeah. games that you can go and watch. That's great. It's fascinating. Um, so they did, uh, they had a team, but those guys weren't, they were contracted. They weren't salary based that I know of. They might've been, um, and they weren't a part of the official media team on the actual media team was, was Tony Budding and Patrick Barber, Pat Barber soon after the games, I think quit and moved out to New Zealand with his girlfriend or something. And this since started a life of his own and successful in his own right. And they hired this guy named Rory McKernan. Yep. And so when I went down initially for my first interview with CrossFit, it was Rory McKernan and Tony Budding were the only two people working in that office. And by the time I came down, because uh, I contracted for a year, um, at the end of that year, I they had, they had another part-time editor that was working there and then a guy named Leif Edmondson. So when I moved to CrossFit as a full-time salary employee, there was there was four people as a part of the media team at that time. And what was it like at that point? Did you feel as if you had it was like a blank canvas for this new emerging sport that had just that was unlike anything else that was on the go? Um, I wouldn't say a blank canvas, especially because the the Tony guy had some really specific demands. Okay. So I my creativity was extremely limited. Um, in 2010, I I just kind of was contracted. I would go every other weekend to go do cool things and. 
Um, uh, but they needed something more su- substantial. They needed like a new show and they needed to prepare for live television. And so um, those are two things that I have, like I never watch the news. Yeah. And, and I never watch live sports just because I'm like, I'll watch like the Super Bowl or like a really good game, but I'm not like, oh man, the game's on. I got to go watch it. I've, I've always felt like my time is more productive doing other things. So uh, when they asked me to come in and work full time on those things, I was like, I don't really want to move to Santa Cruz. I didn't really think it was that great of a town. But I saw the movie The Social Network, which is about Facebook, the movie about Facebook. Yeah. And uh, the story of Ed- Eduardo Severin really hit me where it like, he had stayed home. He stayed in New York and didn't come to the West Coast. And as a result of it, he missed out on this Facebook opportunity, um, which ended up making him millions of dollars. So he didn't have it that tough. But um, in my head, I was like, no, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of this family. I want to go help this community grow. And so I went down to CrossFit and did a job that I really didn't like for like two years. And then from that point forward, the doors were off and I was able to just play from 2013 really on. What was the job? What was the job you didn't like? Uh, it was live television. So like I created the okay. the update show, which they continued on until 2018. And I think they're going to revamp with the guy that kind of took over a job that I had, named Charlie Juvie. He's a great dude. Um, very talented and it's like perfect for what he does. Uh, and then um, so the update show and then um, live production. So like sitting in the truck saying – Ready camera one, take one. Ready camera two, take yeah. two. Like those are great things, but I would rather direct a commercial that goes in the Super Bowl than direct the Super Bowl. Okay. Like that's just kind of where my creative mind goes. Yeah. I'm not like I can create a big fun life thing, but but it's not it's not always the most fun for me. So so I I knew like I don't want that stress in my life. This is what I want to do, and if I can't do that, I'm going to make some changes. And then if we sort of jump forward slightly, I remember mm-hmm. sitting at work with my buddy. And again, we'd only really got into CrossFit about six months, seven months previously when all the changes happened and all the news started breaking about, you know, the media team being cut, which you were obviously part of. And these were changes that had no impact on us whatsoever. But you felt impacted. You're like, oh, my God, what does this mean for CrossFit? It means nothing for us. But obviously, man, it was life changing for you. But I mean, what, what was it like at that point when your essentially your dream job is sort of taken away from you um at that point it wasn't actually a dream job like at that point in my career it was like it was like um i was ready for a new challenge and i was ready for other things and so i was i was it, it was good timing for what I wanted to do in my career it just kind of pushed me off the ledge okay and so i was ready to jump i like I wasn't uh, CrossFit. It's funny. They they used to tell gym owners, if you want to have a successful gym, if you don't want your trainers to leave and open a competition, a competing gym down the street, give your trainers an opportunity and a financial reward that they can't get other places. And CrossFit at that point wasn't providing those opportunities for me. And so it was like, I'm not growing my, my growth within the company isn't going anywhere. And uh, I don't see eye to eye with a lot of the leadership. Like it's ready. It's time for me yeah. to move. Um, but I, I was really set on making the 2018 documentary that we had just finished shooting. And so it was, it was negotiations time for me and my career moving forward based on trying to do that. And also at that time, weirdly enough, like we were, we were, 
they were letting go of, of half a media team already before we were let go. And in that window of time before I was let go and when they made these first really big changes, I was negotiating with the CEO at the time, Jeff Kane, about taking the 2018 documentary and owning it ourselves and finishing it. Like that was a conversation I was having and then being let go in the middle of that. So while after I was let go, I was like, so wait, are we still doing this documentary yeah. thing or like is that not happening? And so there was four or five weeks where that was being discussed and then it immediately shifted from like, hey, this isn't going to happen. But Jeff was very adamant about like, hey, this isn't going to work out, but I really want to help you guys figure out the 2019 documentary. And so what can I do to help you guys establish that? Which is obviously, and, so, and that's, that was the element that you that you did care about, the documentary, the creativity side of it, which must have been difficult. Yeah, and those swallow. are the things that I, I love doing and, and uh, loved having ownership over and, yeah. and figuring out what the best story of the year was. Um, so yeah, that was, that was what I was passionate about. And, and, uh, but during that same window of time, I, uh, it was the first time that I went to LA and took meetings with very big agencies there about like, what would my career look like if I came down here yeah. and did what I initially set out to do? Um, we'll see if that ever happens at this point, but we, we, and at this, it, it was weird because it was like, I'm not working for CrossFit anymore, but I have two very different paths. Do I continue working in the community and this thing that, that we've kind of helped build, or do I completely rift off and go do something that I've thought about doing for, for my entire life, which is try and make actual movies. Were you, um, were, you, were you tempted to hit Hollywood? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, yeah, I definitely, and I went down to Hollywood and took meetings. Like it was, it was fun. It was cool. And, and the meetings were like with people that I'd, uh, businesses that I never thought I'd get in the room with, yeah. but uh, I'm having similar conversations with some, like what I, what I saw was I'm very passionate about this and uh, I would love to really see this through. And that's opened almost more doors than if I had just gone straight to Hollywood and even had success there, especially like, I don't know if it, what, why I chose doing the community thing, but I felt very drawn to it. And I felt like, like I owed it to the athletes to help tell their story after like their livelihood's almost completely ruined. Um, and I, uh, I got really lucky because I feel like two years later, now that COVID's hit, yeah. um, had I gone to Hollywood, a lot of those productions have been shut down. So like it might've been a sign from, from heaven to, to let me know, yeah. like, no, go do this other thing. Cause, cause this is what you, your family needs for, for the future. And really, it wasn't that long ago when you had this, that choice to make, you know, do this yeah. or do that. It's, you know, time goes oh, so like quickly. 20, that it's, 26 months ago. Was yeah, that's incredible. Incredible. Um, you made a really good point, and that was something I wanted to ask you anyway. When it comes to telling the stories, whether it's a season or, or a competition, it seems like it's really difficult to storyboard something out. Like you almost have to see who who does well. Obviously, we know who the sort of top athletes are. But do you go into scenarios? Do you go into competitions with an idea of what the story could be, or do you just have to literally wait and see how it goes? Uh, it depends. So, like uh, for the documentaries about the game specifically, we always have like, hey, we've got our eye on these six athletes. Um, these are people that we spent leading up the season with leading up to the season with, um, specifically for the fittest. We were like, look, there's going to be 200 athletes here competing for this weird year. Like it's usually 40. So it doesn't matter 
we hope that we pick the winners, so yep. Matt and Tia, and then everybody else, if they make it through the first cut or if they don't, that's an interesting story. And so you just have to focus on the personalities and make it relatable. Um, and it doesn't matter if your favorite character gets cut, killed off in the second episode. That's just storytelling, and that's yeah. real. And so going into the 2019 games, it was like we've got these six athletes, and then anybody else that we can add to it, great. And so like Noah, we hadn't spent much time before, and we were able to spend – but we got we, – we have a good relationship with him. So he was a natural fit into that story that year. Yeah. Um, uh, this year at the CrossFit Games, you we had a, we have a definitely a story about what happened at the 2020 CrossFit Games of the season, um, but we only had to focus on 10 athletes, so so it was very easy to get with as many of those as possible before the the games yeah. happened. It wasn't easy, but we got with eight out of the 10 athletes that were at the CrossFit Games. What's been your most man? What's been your favorite story that you've told? What's been the sort of you know, the best narrative over the last few years that you've come across or has unfolded in front of you? <sighs> it's not, I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of always in the now. So like what I'm working on now is fascinating. Like uh, 2018, even though we didn't do it, um, was I think a really cool, fascinating year. Um, the 2017 year with, with Ricky Garrard having steroids yeah. was fascinating. 2016 when you had Catherine David's daughter uh, losing her grandma and and um, coming back and winning with the drama versus her and Tia and, and the emotions attached to Tia losing that year that was fantastic um, and and emotional and beautiful especially because it was the last year at the, at the Stub Hub Center in California the Froning movie I'm really close with because like I'm following this guy who's an icon and a legend in the sport yeah. and he's starting his new family and it, things got really emotional producing that movie so that's always like a really close one um and the stuff we're working on now i'm always i'm really fascinated by but the stuff i had the most fun doing over the last 10 years is definitely things like going to aruba <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be fun like going to aruba or going to travel class and winning that event or jumping out of that airplane or, yeah. or all the fun activities that i'm doing now is like that's to me like the, probably the most interesting story is the one that we're writing now. You have to you've, when you've you know when you've got so many different moving parts and so many opportunities, you, you kind of have to just it's a total cliche, but you have to live in the moment and just appreciate what you're doing at that moment in time. Yeah, and write your future. Yeah, for sure. In terms of um, like just another favorite question. So if you look at the, the content that that you guys have created the last couple of years. What has been, uh, what's, you've done a lot of stuff, a lot of fun stuff. I don't think there's an episode that isn't enjoyable. But what, what's been the sort of highlights from that that you've that you've enjoyed the most since the channel Oh, started? definitely probably those things I just mentioned. So uh, we always get, we get asked this question every now and then. Probably one of my favorites was Tribal Clash in 2020. That was February 2020. Um, we had just finished this crazy trip through Spain and Europe and London and felt really sick and then came home and shot another episode and then went directly. So we'd been shooting for like 20 days straight, took a day off, skied one run, then got on an airplane to Australia, uh, got to Australia, slept like 24 hours straight, jumped out of an airplane and went to this event and competed with a bunch of, with an awesome team and won the event. Um, yeah. That was definitely one of the highlights of the, the episodes. Um, 
Disney moment for sure. Hawaiian trail run was just beautiful and, and insane views of the island and, and really personal relationship that were built on that trip. Um, Aruba was both trips to Aruba have been just insanely cool and fun and, and uh, gives you appreciations for the international community and love that that CrossFitters share because you can go anywhere in the world and roll up into a CrossFit gym and you you feel like family because you all speak the same language in a way. Yeah. Um, and so uh, those are probably three or four that come to mind of my my favorite episodes. And then uh, probably one last one was uh, we always talk about like the, the coolest thing that's come about. Like we're doing really cool things, but it's the relationships and it's the rooms that we've been able to get into as a result of, of what we're doing now that make this the most valuable thing we've ever thought possible. And it's it's friendships like Brooks like and going to his lake house yeah. and uh, spending a week there. Like those have been not only the funnest episodes, but just like life things that you wanted to do that we were, that we have the opportunity to do now. You could see in that episode as well, that that came through, that it was just like, this is, this is amazing. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah that was an amazing week. Yeah. Sure. Um, in terms of you and Marston, then what, how did that, I'm trying not to ask you questions that everyone else wants to ask you, but how did that relationship develop? How, how did you guys come together and just, Get on so well. So weirdly enough, like he grew up across the street from my wife. Uh, we didn't put that together until we had known each other for like a year. Um, but Marsden uh, came to. I was working for CrossFit. I was contracted to cover one of their local throwdowns, essentially. So before the CrossFit Games opened, started in 2011. The route to qualify for the CrossFit Games in 2009 was you went to a regional. And then the CrossFit Games, 2010, that, was, that wasn't big enough. So they had these things called sectionals, which were really low, um, small weekend local events from, from February to early March. And I went to the Salt Lake City sectional here just up the road, and he showed up to film his girlfriend and was like, hey, man, like, I noticed it's just you filming this event. Uh, could I come shoot my girlfriend? And if, 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 if I do, I'll give you access to my footage. And I was like, sure, dude. Like, we'll just divide and conquer. You take that side, I'll shoot this side. And, and uh, if your girlfriend's doing really well, like just stay on her and I'll get yeah. the rest of it. And, and he was like, awesome. So I gave him floor access. He gave me his footage. Um, he showed up in my apartment like two days later with a really clean and organized uh, thing. And I liked the way that he shot hard drive. So I got all the footage from him and I was like, this guy's awesome. Uh, I put him in touch with CrossFit and said, Hey, if you guys need more videographers, I know how much work you're giving me. Like you might want to give this guy a chance. And so he started working for CrossFit. Um, we didn't collaborate for four or five months later, um, but then on and off we would do things probably every other month together until I moved to CrossFit in the spring, the fall of – I'd been working at CrossFit headquarters for about six months. I was producing a pilot for ESPN, and I was like, I need Marston because he's the most talented shooter that yeah. we have on the team, shooter editor on the team. Um and so he flew out and helped me produce that. And then when we got the contract from ESPN before the CrossFit Games, uh, I was like, "Dude, I need you to move to Su- I need you to move to Santa Cruz. Like, we've got to produce 17 shows for the for ESPN. Like, I I need your help." And so he was like, "Okay." Uh, he always saw me going down as like a test bunny for himself. So he would call me and ask me questions about what the environment was like, what the housing situations were like, and he wasn't quite ready to move. But when I was like, no, dude, I need your help. He was like, okay, I'm here. 
and so from 2011 on, we we worked really closely together and and became really close friends throughout the uh, eight years that we worked together at CrossFit. Your your personality on camera is obviously like bundles of energy, full of energy. Both of you guys are just like full throttle. Is that just some, <laughs> is that just something that naturally switches on as soon as the camera comes on, or is that just how you live your life three six five twenty four seven? I mean, like right now, people, when they talk to me one-on-one, they're like, man, you're a lot more mellow than I expected. But I'm like, yeah, they're like, I'm just chilling in my living room yeah. right now. Like, <laughs> the environment's like very one-on-one. And I'm, if I'm like, you, 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 you turn the volume up based on what the atmosphere is like. So yeah. the atmosphere right now is very, it's much more intimate than if I'm in a room full of 200 people or 50 yeah. people or 20 people working out. Um, that's why I think it felt very natural when we did acid bath and we're goofing around or when we're, we're rolling around uh, Wadapalooza acting like lunatics because that's just kind of how we are. Like if if I went with my buddies to a concert, that's the way we would yeah. act at the concert. Sure. And when we go to the gym, that's how we act at the gym. And so uh, we always have fun. It's always been a play. Like for me, the gym has always been my reset. It's like in, in elementary school you would get 15 minutes or 30 minutes at lunch to go play on the playground this is my playground yeah. and i'm going to turn it up to 11 and rock out and so uh that's the personality that um those moments are the most interesting moments to film and so the camera's on us when we're at 11 and so that's it, it's very natural it's yeah. not it's made up really um but we definitely turn up the volume a little bit to make it more goofy because it, it, we know it looks like you're on camera or it's just like how ridiculous we look like we appreciate that and have fun with it. We don't take, we take our work very seriously, yeah. but we don't take ourselves very seriously. 100%. One sort of period that wasn't quite as, you know, goofy as you said, it doesn't sound as good to come from a Scot as it does from an American to say goofy, but um, was just around COVID and obviously around all the controversy that, that CrossFit went through last year and I remember sitting down very vividly when you guys decided that this was a story that had to be told you wanted to get out you wanted to just show how diverse the community was what did you take from that experience and and what how important did you feel it was to to tell that story and how privileged did you guys feel to be to have that institutional knowledge but be removed enough from it that you had almost the authority to tell it better than anyone else could. I mean, that's kind of, we're still telling that story, right? Like, like, and to me, I think going into it, people might be critical of the way we've covered that because um, the community is very diverse, but we always knew that that's not why there were the issues that happened. Yeah. Um, having worked with the company, yes, there should be more diversity in their content, um, me personally and what my role was, was to cover, I always talk, it might be to a fault, covered the top athletes of the sport. Um, and it didn't matter if they were female, male, where they were located. If you were winning, we were going to put a camera on you. Yeah. And then there was a handful of other really cool personalities, but they all kind of fit into that. Like anyone we've covered could could theoretically have made it into the top five to 10 at the CrossFit Games any given year they competed. Um we always knew that the problems that were coming out of HQ were personality driven and not racially driven. Yeah. That was just the straw that came, that broke the camel's back. Um, and even like 
but to answer your question, we were very nervous to tell that story because what we've always been is pro athlete. Like I came back to cover the CrossFit sport, not because I cared about the company, but because yeah. I, I cared about the relationship that, and sport that I've helped build. And so do I come back and uh, voice my opinion about what's happening and have that in turn affect my relationship with CrossFit and therefore in turn my effect in, in being able to tell the story of the athletes because I'm not given access because I've said things that, that don't align with HQ's um, opinions, um, then, then I'm not doing my ultimate job and what I want to be doing to the best that I can. And so we wanted to tell as much as we could without our voice, um, but through our medium. Yeah. There was one of our coaches at the box here. He had just gotten seminar staff maybe six months or so when, when everything blew up. And he had that moment where, you know, people are on the phone saying, you know, like, questioning. He's questioning himself. Almost like he just got his dream job and he's doubting, he's wondering what's going on. He's, you know, until he heard from, from HQ themselves. You're, you're almost, a, until the dust settles, you're immediately associated with something that people think the worst of. But you guys, in terms of your association with, with with the sport, were even closer to that. Did you have that moment as well? Or did you were you confident that your storytelling would be one of the, the vehicles to sort of get the right story out there? Yeah, I think I, I became very nervous, especially when I had major news outlets reaching out and asking me questions about my former employer. Um, we were nervous because we didn't want to burn bridges. We were also nervous because uh, because like this thing that we had helped build and loved looked like it was burning to the ground. Yeah, um, and it looked like for like two weeks it was like every decision being made. We were like, oh no, like how is this happening? Like what, what is going on over there? Um, but it, I also knew two things. I, I always kind of knew that there was a few key people at CrossFit that really steered the ship one level, but below, uh, those that were making these big public statements that I was like, if those guys are still there, the CrossFit games can still happen and it can still be wildly successful. Um, and it can be a cool event. Um, but for us as a business and as a brand, Buttery Bros, we've always sort of like uh, – I, I never wanted to be limited by CrossFit. So we associate and work with brands that aren't just CrossFit yeah. very specifically because we want to be beyond just this community because I think that that helps everybody if, we, if we're reaching people who are interested in action sports because we're, we're associated with Blender's Glasses um, – that brings more people into CrossFit gyms and also gets our reach out to, to people that we like doing action sports with. Yeah. So like it, it, we, we made decisions in that term. So as long as those brands understood that we were separated one level, it was, it worked out really well. Also CrossFit had canned us very publicly. And, and so most people yeah. that had any knowledge about the community, like understood, wow, CrossFit's falling apart. These guys kind of got out at a great time yeah. and have a very successful thing. Let's, let's collaborate and work with them because that seems like a something that's going smoothly. And so you, uh, it was nerve wracking for, I was more nervous for athletes and uh, gym owners than I was for what I had going on personally. 
And could you sense that when you guys hit the road? Could you sense that the athletes and the the affiliate owners themselves were sort of nervous about what was coming down the road? Oh, oh yeah. Every gym you talked to, you had different reactions. Like we, that was one thing we did on that trip, the first couple episodes, which is we would ask affiliate owners, like, okay, what are you doing? How do you feel? What do you think? Um, and then all our conversations with the athletes were a lot of them had to happen off camera because no one felt comfortable talking on camera about yeah. what was happening because because you know, tweets were being made that no one understood or accusations were coming out. And, um, you'd call an athlete and they'd, they'd be bawling because they just announced that they were no longer competing at the CrossFit games. And this thing that they've been working hard for, for, for four years straight. And they have a dream of being on a podium there and they're like, no, I can't, I can't represent this. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was gnarly to, to a lot of degree, but, um, I learned early on, earlier on in my life, like <laughs> I talk to my wife about this all the time. I can't control what CrossFit's doing. I can't control those circumstances. So for me as a person, like I'm like, okay, that sucks. What, what's the next workout we're going to go do? Like yeah. what's the next food we're going to go eat? Um, let's, let's navigate these things one step at a time and, and find the positives while we're dealing with these huge, huge negatives and figure out what we can do to uh, be patient get all the all the information and then pick the best route forward. And all of this was happening during COVID. Now, yeah. obviously the world has just sort of imploded uh, as a result of this this thing, but what was that like as you're as you're going through these communities and you're seeing different businesses struggling, adapting, not sure if they can stay open, but, but, that must have been really I mean, difficult. That's still, to... that's still something that's, that we're seeing today. Like yeah. the, even eight, nine months after that specific road trip, that was our first trip out um, since from March. Like that was our first big trip around. Um, and really like it's very similar now, which is some gyms are open. Some people have masks. Some places are completely shut down. And it, it's up to the government in those specific cities or towns or states to determine in the states uh, who's able to be open. And then, and then beyond that, like we haven't had any experience in London, but I have, uh, a manager over in London and other people that I collaborate with there that, that are shut down and they have been for the fourth time. And I'm like, dude, how, like, if I had to do what I did for those five weeks, four times, like, that's a long time to be stuck in my house. Like I'd I'd be making life changes. We're like, uh, for a perfect example, I'm with my buddy Julian, who's off in the show often. He makes our graphics. He's a phenomenal dancer, rubber ankles. Um, he just came out to, to Texas with us over the weekend because he's like, I don't want to be in California. They're shut down. And I'm like, you've been there for this whole time. Move to Utah. Yeah. Like, move out of that location. It, that's not sustainable. That's not fun to me. Yeah. Like, I can't feel that constrained. So, uh, I'm very fortunate that I'm in a location where that's not the case. I'm able to go to the gym. I'm able to live a pretty normal life, but my heart goes out for all those people that are struggling with it. And, um, the best thing that I feel like I can do is continue to inspire people to live a healthier life and get to those gyms when they eventually open or work out between now and then. And so I think bringing a fun light to fitness is sort of it's it's more important now than it has been ever. Yeah, because 100%. people people need to be reminded that that this is a playground for adults. Well said. Go, going back to um, your sort of 
creative mind and you know what you do because I don't want to make it all about the nuts and bolts of, of CrossFit. I'm really interested in in you as a you know as a filmmaker and stuff like that. Do you go into making? Do you guys both go into these projects thinking, okay, we're going to inspire people with this, or is it a blend of fun, or do you feel now the pressure of you've got so many subscribers, you're so well known? Do you ever worry that the the pressure of being who you are sort of not compromises, but almost stifles that creativity? No, it opens it for me. Like, like who doesn't want to go bigger and have more fun? Yeah, <laughs> that's the challenge, right? Yeah. Like, like, uh, and then also the other thing we've we've learned, like, it's just it's just noticing what the audience is talking about, noticing where comments are going, and also. Like there's a there's a there's a fun blend of seeing what your audience wants and then recognizing what they what what you want um, because if you just did what the audience wanted that you that you would be, end up doing the same thing over and over again and, yeah. and you wouldn't grow and so um, there, there's a fun blend of moments where it's just talking heads and you're having a fun conversation or the conversation is about something that's key or important or inspiring to then also uh, wild and crazy moments where you're, you're feeding a flamingo or you're, you're hanging off the back of a boat, um, lip singing a, a song with dancers from dancing with the stars or you're, you're, you know, like you, you, you have to find really fun and big things to, to make it entertaining for your audience while also maintaining the intimate relationships, which are those, those in-between moments yeah. where you're having interesting conversations with interesting people. That's a that's a very very good answer. Um, what's next? What's coming down the line for you guys in twenty twenty one? So right now we we just literally like I landed thirty minutes ago and then came home and hopped on this call. We we just got back from Texas. We're taking the next few weeks to flush out the twenty twenty documentary, and then also we produced this series called Proven, which covers the twenty nineteen sanctional season. Um, so there's like. There's three episodes there that cover uh, three op- three sanctionals before the 2019 CrossFit Games open. So okay. it's, it's like two years old at this point, but it's some of your favorite CrossFit athletes competing and in, in really intimate moments that happen behind the scenes at those locations. And they're they're very much like a, a prequel to the to our 2019 documentary that finished. Yeah. Um, the 2020 documentary has come along really well. I'm really excited about it. Um, diving into it here immediately after this call. And then after that, we have some really fun Buttery Bros shows lined up uh, with some some people that are both we're, – we're loading up for the open, so we'll see what we do for that. And then we have some uh, – we're connecting with some people that are very different but still fitness-related uh, but are not in CrossFit. But okay. Are, are two of the weirdest personalities in, in, in the space, and I'm really excited about it. And you, you've sort of dabbled in that with some, you know – with other athletes, other sportsmen and women that aren't necessarily in CrossFit, I think you have to, uh, I guess you feel it's important just to always have a variety of people on your show. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's two, just two sides to that, which is um, we've learned in CrossFit that, like, there's a, we call it the asshole barrier, but, like, there's a, there's not a lot of, 
douchebags that want to come suffer and better themselves to the degrees that to the degree that CrossFitters do. Right? Yeah. Like, there's a few, there's a handful that don't uh, that do and come in and do this. And there's a couple of jerks, but like for the most part, if you come in and you suffer like this, you you probably think very similar to us. Yeah. So when you go out and you hang out with a bodybuilder, they have very different life goals and and work out very differently. And so it's it's but that you find things that you can relate on and you just hope that you get along. Yeah. So for the most part, with any crossfitter, I'm like, yeah, we'll get along. We're gonna crush it. Uh, with these with people outside of that, like we, one of the most notable ways we worked out with this awesome woman named Whitney Simmons. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we had talked to, I'd met her two or three times before we actually put her on camera and worked out with her and it, it went really well and she was a ton of fun and we were wearing butt pants and looked ridiculous. That's so, a great episode. Yeah. It was a win-win. Um, I, I get the sense that time is running out, so I won't keep you too long. To your point that you made a minute ago, you've just come off a plane and you've jumped on the call with some random guy that you don't know. <laughs> like, how can you, do you have to learn to say no to people or is it just something you enjoy doing? When do you switch off? When do you have free time? Oh, I'm not very good at saying no. So if I just say no, I just kind of ignore it. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, anytime I get the chance to talk to people and get to know and, and tell our story, like like back to your one of your very first questions was like, is it like, has it hit you that you guys are very big? And it's like, no, man, like, especially with COVID, like your interaction with the, the actual public is very small and minimal yeah. and and restricted. So like we've had a year of growth where we've not interacted with people on a regular basis like we did in 2019. So so um, to, to some degree, we've like doubled our subscriber base, but we don't really notice a difference on a day-to-day yeah. thing. Um, it will be... Um, so I, I try to say yes and just hang out with as many people as possible because I like getting to know other people and, I, and we feel very honored or I feel very honored to be able to tell my story because I'm honored to have this story. So uh, if people want to listen to it, I'm happy to tell it. Final question before you go because um, I, I get the sense that either kids or family are looking over. Yeah, my, my wife just came yeah. and saw me for the first time. So I mean, <laughs> just that. And, it, and it's, it's relevant to that. You know, you, you touched on it right at the beginning of you wanted to do something for you, something that your kids could see. When you, um, you know, when you look back at your body of work, when you consider everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do, how much of a, because I want this to be about people's legacies in their chosen field. Is that at the heart of, of what you do in terms of those closest to you being proud of what you do? Oh, 100%. Um, and I don't know if my kids are going to be proud of me shaving Marsden's chest or, or, uh, or wearing butt pants and, and, uh, doing some of the silly things we do. But I think that there's an appreciation and there's something very cool. Like, um, I remember listening to a book, uh, creativity Inc. And it, it talked about, uh, the creation of the Pixar studios through, um, and, and Steve jobs relationship with that. And, um, the general manager, I think, of, of Pixar talking about how interesting it was that Steve Jobs is over here at Apple doing these insanely th- these insane things, um, and he's developing the iPhone, which is it, it changed the world, yeah. right? But he also had this respect for the arts when making Toy Story or their movies because a movie is is something like thirty years from now, this is going to be obsolete. Yeah. But the story of Toy Story is not, and movies like Lady and the Tramp 
are popular 40 years after they are created. Um, to some degree, the way we consume media is very different, but I'm extremely proud of the legacy of creating the movies that I have. And then on even more so proud of the 88 or 89 episodes of the buttery bros that we put out there that are, that are forever. I mean, that's, that's like 40 hours of content of Heber cannon (laughs) and Barston Sawyer's acting ridiculous and working out with best friends. And, and, uh, that's something that I think has helped others be inspired to want to work out and do fun things as well. And so like, uh, there's a legacy of, um, on two fronts there of, of the art of documentary filmmaking that we've dabbled into. And then, and then the, um, story of what we've done for ourselves through our own business, um, in the last two years. Well, that feels like a good place to sign off on. Um, Thank you for being guest number one on the Legacy Pod. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Legacy Pod. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, subscribe, or share through word of mouth. Hopefully there's going to be a lot more content coming over the weeks, months, and years, and I look forward to being on this journey with you guys. See you in the next episode.